0: Welcome to Common Ground, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot button topics in Berlin and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Women around the world have more rights and wield more political and economic power than ever before. The Me Too movement has led to justice and accountability for women who've been violated and bullied. Even so, women still feel unsafe, as the aftermath of Sarah Everard's murder in London last March shows. Senior producer Dina El-Sayed reports.
1: On the night of March 3rd, 33-year-old Sarah Everard left her friend's South London flat to walk home. She never arrived. The marketing executive's remains were found a week later, and a police officer was charged with her murder. The case led to an outpouring of rage and grief, not just in the UK, but around the world. (laughs) Things only got worse after a police crackdown in London on women protesting her death. Local police also angered people by telling women in the neighborhood Sarah disappeared to stay indoors because it wasn't safe. Many women around the world say it shouldn't be up to them, but to the police, governments, and men to make sure women are safe. Such demands for an end to victim blaming is hardly new. Ten years ago, on May 11th, the Istanbul Convention was adopted to help shift that burden. The treaty is aimed at preventing and combating violence against women. Even then, Executive Secretary to the Convention, Johanna Nellis described the move as long overdue.
2: Well, this convention now sets legally binding obligations for those governments that choose to ratify it. And that means that they will be, for the very first time, they will be legally obliged to take a wide variety of measures. And these are measures in, in the areas of the four P's, that, as we call them, the area of um, prevention of violence, protection of its victims, prosecution of the perpetrators, and then in the overall area of policy taking, coordinate and comprehensive policies. And because these are legally binding obligations, there are no excuses not to act.
1: But not enough has changed since then, and women in Europe and around the world still feel unsafe. Turkey, meanwhile, opted out of the Istanbul Convention last March. The Turkish president's subsequent diplomatic snub of European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen in what became known as Sofa Gate led her to recently describe to the European Parliament how insecure women feel. I felt hurt and I felt alone as a woman and as a European. Because it is not about seating arrangements or protocol. This goes to the core of who we are. This goes to the values our union stands for. And this shows how far we still have to go before women are treated as equals, always and everywhere. In 2011, the feeling of insecurity led two friends in Berlin to start Heimweg Telefon, a hotline for women and girls. In this video, an anxious woman walking home on deserted streets dials the hotline. A volunteer who answers reassures her and stays on the line with her until she arrives home. But even the Heimweg telephone founders say initiatives like theirs are not enough. What more is needed and whether it's achievable, we will find out
0: next on Common Ground. That was senior producer Dina El-Sayed. Joining me via Zoom to talk about women's safety are Anne Rutten of Plan International, a children's rights organization that conducted a survey last year assessing women's feelings about safety. Connie Vogt of Heimweg Telefon, which is a private initiative in Germany and Austria, helping women feel safer when they walk home at night and Sarah Riese, who is with the Research Unit on Violence Prevention at the Independent Institute, Camino. We asked officials at the Hamburg and Berlin Police Departments to join today's discussion, but they declined, even though they have innovative studies underway that examine issues around women's safety. Sarah, is such a reluctance to talk or act on issues of women's safety common among police and government officials, and what accounts for their discomfort?
3: I'm not sure if it is, um, if a reluctance to talk about it is common. What I definitely find interesting is for me looking at it as a researcher, right, um, that data, for example, simple data on gender-based violence and on perceptions of gender-based violence is surprisingly scarce. There are surveys, but those date back to, I don't know, there's, for example, there's a EU survey that many people refer to that was published in 2015. So that's a while ago. And then, of course, there's police data, which refers only obviously to those cases that are being registered by the police or that are known to the police. But producing such reports, obviously, there's always there's a decision behind it. And I think it points to a lack of awareness I think these things are changing. You you mentioned that there's research underway as well. But so far, there is very little, basically, hard facts to talk about in the way.
0: And why do women feel unsafe in countries like Germany, where there is more recognition of their rights and issues than, let's say, um, in parts of the Middle East or in parts of Asia or even South America? I mean, I'm not somebody who's easily spooked myself, having been a war zone reporter for so many years, but I still find myself turning around in the park or turning around on a quiet street to see who might be following me here in Berlin, which is probably the safest city I've ever lived in.
4: Yes, well, Plan International's like done uh, researches about this topic, and I think while the actual crime rates and statistics suggest that cities like Berlin and Munich, like basically all German cities, are very, very safe, while where women live does not make a difference concerning how they feel when they are moving in public spheres, and I think... Well, our research uh, suggests that for the same reasons, they do not feel safe. Like a major one being sexual harassment, like both verbal and physical, um, both feared and experienced. And what the research suggests then is regardless of culture and language and, well, geography, (laughs) all cities in like all countries across the globe have this one factor in common that makes women feel unsafe and it's like sexism and gender discrimination, or in other words, a lack of equality. And that makes like the problem a structural one, I think, because gender-based violence, like including sexual harassment, discrimination, um, rape, even abuse, assault, all these are like social phenomenon that is like a consequence of this outdated idea that girls and women are like worth less or are still the weaker sex, as we like to say. And apparently these outdated ideas and norms are way more present in wealthy industrialized countries like Germany or the US than maybe we like to think or say.
0: Connie, did the murder, I mean, we talked a little bit about Sarah Everard's murder uh, case in London, and I'm wondering, did it result in more calls to Heimweg in Germany and Austria after it happened?
2: Um, No, actually not. This is more because we also have corona. Um, And uh, corona, of course, means that we are not allowed to go out uh, through the night. The bars are closed. um, The clubs are closed. The restaurants are closed. So, actually, this is all things that is not happening at the moment. So, still, we see that in total, we have more calls than before uh, because, of course, people still go to work. And um, if you are a shift worker, then you have to go at home at night. Uh, and this is maybe a reason that you call us. And I would like to say to the question before that. This also is an issue of the, the field, the women's field. You know, we teach our daughters that it's dangerous outside, no matter if it's really dangerous in the public area or not. So we tend to say, if you go outside, then either be accompanied by a strong man or choose clothes that are not showing too much of you.
0: That's actually an interesting point. I mean, victim blaming, you know, or saying that it's the woman who has to take the responsibility onto herself. Is that a fair assessment, uh, Sarah? I mean, do you see this as being a phenomenon or this sort of lack of safety, that that has a lot to do with the fact that women are sort of being blamed for why they're not safe?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely an important issue. I checked whether there are surveys on issues such as victim blaming. And I found one that is, again, uh, an an EU survey from, uh, I'm not quite sure, 2015, 2016, 17 maybe, um, which is Eurobarometer, where they asked whether people, both male and female respondents, whether they believe that uh, it's sometimes also the victim's fault when they are being harassed or attacked. And almost 20% of respondents from Germany said yes, that's the case, which I found actually, I found that very shocking and surprising that people would actually say so in the survey. And another issue that I think is very important in this respect is that this is also still, and maybe maybe that goes back also to the question of how state agencies deal with this issue and respond to this issue, that this perspective is still, I think, also very much prevalent in how state agencies deal with the issue. For example, uh, if it's about cases of domestic violence, um, extreme cases of domestic violence, then it is apparently still very usual that the court would inquire whether The victim actually did something to cause jealousy, which obviously is is completely irrelevant. But I also find that very surprising, that that actually still is a part of judicial proceedings, which sends a message, right? If that's how the state deals with these issues, then that sends a message. And it's, I mean, Germany ratified the Istanbul Convention in 2018. That also says very clear things about that issue, that these feelings of jealousy and emotional states of, I don't know what, uh, are not to be relevant uh, in trials, but um, I'm not so sure whether that has actually changed yet.
0: Anne, tell us about Plan International Survey, Safe in the City, which provided an insight into how women feel in Germany and beyond. What are they most afraid of?
4: Um, That's a hard question, actually, because we didn't really ask, what are you afraid of? We asked, like, how do you feel when you move around in your city? And um, we've done a study like in 2018, um, where we asked this question in five countries all over the world, like in Australia, in India and, for example, in Peru. And um, so we wanted to check like, okay, how do um, women respond to this question here? To my surprise, actually, there are basically no differences. Like, um, we found out that basically no woman feels completely safe in her city. And that's like a major thing. I mean, I can totally relate to that. Um, I'm not a person who gets scared very easily, but I think every woman knows this feeling when she's walking home alone at night, mostly, (laughs) that you like have this feeling, um, okay, you walk a little faster. Maybe you call someone or the Heimlich telephone if you don't have anyone to call because you feel just a little, yeah, unsafe. It's more a feeling than you really think something's going to happen or uh, that maybe something has happened. We also ask that, like, 30% of the women we asked uh, said, yes, actually something happened to me. And these um, happenings or experiences basically were um, sexual harassment. That was like one in four women was sexually harassed. One in five women uh, were actually victims of violence that's really really bad (laughs) even for our cities i mean we live in hamburg or berlin or munich or cologne and these cities are supposed to be safe and um, still women don't feel safe in their cities and this feeling or this fear actually of being sexually harassed or um, being a victim of violence uh, is reinforced by some urban issues like bad lighting or um, I don't know very high hedges in parks uh, so you can't really have a look in your surroundings and yeah basically also of course people <laughs> like suspicious people you like walk around the block or um, there are groups of people predominantly male, of course, um, I don't know, consuming drugs, alcohol, whatever. And they don't really have to say something to you. You're just like a little scared because you can't really say, okay, is this going to be a dangerous situation for me? Or am I just passing? And um, this always has like a little adrenaline rush, I guess, (laughs) if you like, and you walk faster. Yeah, that's actually basically um, what we found out that 80% of The women or the participants of our uh, research feel this way when they walk around their city. And in comparison to the earlier research, like in 2018, where we did this on a global level, the key finding is that girls and women in large German cities do not feel safer than those in the capitals of Peru, Uganda or India like the levels of marked places where they feel unsafe and of course the reasons too for them not feeling safe um, is very very similar um, for example Hamburg had a rate of 85 percent um, negative rated places it puts it on a par with Kampala and Madrid where there were 80 percent I guess and 84 percent and In Lima, there were like 89% um, negative rated or unsafe rated places.
0: It is actually a really interesting point that you bring up. So let me ask Sarah and Connie, and we'll start with Connie. Is this dread or this fear that women have that we feel a perception rather than a safety issue? Or are women actually not safe?
2: Yeah, it's a perception. Um, especially in the public area, women are much safer than they seem to be. They are much unsafer, actually, at home, because violence at home is a, a far bigger problem than violence in the public area. But we feel unsafe. And actually, the reasons for the fear that we have is as individual as the people walking around. So when women walk through big cities, then they are afraid of um, people. If they are on the country, they are afraid because there are no people. If they are at the train station, they are afraid because there's no one at the train station or there are too many people at the train station or there's a group of men at the train station whom they don't know what they plan. So, actually, the public area is not that unsafe, but we think so because we train that to the girls and the women from the beginning. You know, if you raise a boy, then you say, Hey, go outside, the world is yours, take whatever you want. And if somebody comes around, then just, you know, do it. And we go to the girls and we say, You have to be very prudent. You have to be a nice girl. You have to bear anything that comes around. Just suffer, but be quiet. And if something happens to you, it's your fault anyway.
4: Anne, you
0: wanted to add something?
4: I totally feel what you've been saying. And um, the thing is, I don't think it's a perception issue of women's safety. It's rather an equality issue or a gender role issue, because like you said, instead of teaching girls to be scared or maybe rather in addition to teaching them to be careful, we need to start teaching our boys that it's not okay to harass. It's not okay to threaten or insult girls so that they get scared. We have to like change these stereotypes and gender roles to make something or to change actually the feeling of girls in big cities, because that's not only impacting their lives, if they can't really move freely, it's not only a thing um, concerning them, it's also a thing concerning boys and men too.
0: Connie, go ahead, add add your last point, and then we'll ask Sarah to, to weigh in as well. Uh, yeah, that's true. And
2: what we see is that men just are not aware of this issue. This is very womenized thing. You know, I've talked to many men now after this terrible thing with uh, Sarah in, in March, and they are very surprised that we have an issue here. And they could not imagine that there is a problem. And I think we just also have to involve men to raise awareness. Sarah, what do you think? I agree with
3: most points or with all of them, uh, but I'd like to add one thing is that I also think it's um, one issue that adds to that perception is that all kinds of sexist comments uh, and harassment on on a low level is so prevalent and so much part of everyday life, which creates a feeling of insecurity. You never know whether it stops at a comment or whether something else will happen, right? That's the one thing. The other thing is that i very much agree that um, the point where where things could change to the better is to look at what men and boys can do and i really like um, that after this horrible the case of sir everard i saw debates popping up on what can men do to make women feel safer in the street to signal that they are not um that they are not dangerous i think that's a good starting point and the last issue is that i agree very much with connie that statistically speaking, home is a very dangerous place for women. Most cases of gender-based violence either involve current partners or former partners, or if it's not current and former partners, then people that women know. Usually it's not violence in the street by strangers, but this is much less public, of course. Um, Cases like the one of Sarah Everard become very public, but most violence happens behind closed curtains, and I think that is a problem, and that needs to be talked about.
0: We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about some of the steps being taken to increase women's safety. Stay tuned.
3: Democracy.
1: I'm Rachel Tauzenfeind, one of the hosts of the German Marshall Fund's podcast, Out of Order. Join our conversations with leaders and experts on what the dark side of tech does to democracy, how the pandemic shapes geopolitics, and other topics of global order and disorder. You can find our episodes and miniseries at gmfus.org or wherever you find your podcasts. We are the German Marshall Fund of the United States, strengthening transatlantic cooperation since 1972.
0: I'm Soraya Sarhadi-Nelson, the host of Common Ground. And I'm Dina El-Sayed, the senior producer. Each week we bring you a new lively discussion on a hard-hitting topic.
1: If you want to learn more about our podcast, check out our website at commongroundberlin.com. The episodes are free to download, but they aren't free to
0: create. Common Ground depends on grants as well as donations from listeners like you. So if you want to help us out, please click on the donate button at commongroundberlin.com. And thanks for listening!
1: Hi everyone, I'm Maurice Frank, editor of the Berliner Zeitung English Edition, which is a proud partner of Common Ground. Is it hard for you to figure out what's going on in Berlin, because everything you read or hear is in German? We at Berlina and Zeitung English Edition can help, providing you with all the news you can use in English, whether on politics, business, or culture. We also offer riveting interviews and commentary. Look for us at berlina-zeitung.de slash en or just type in Berlina and Zeitung English Edition into your search engine. I look forward to seeing
0: you there. Welcome back to Common Ground. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and with me are Connie Vogt of Heimweg Telefon, Sarah Riese of Camino Research Institute, and Anna Rutten of Plan International. Author Nesreen Malik described women as being in a, quote, constant state of bargaining. In other words, having to make trade-offs not demanded of men. And we talked about that a little bit uh, in the previous segment. These days, however, a growing number of women are fed up with that dynamic. They are demanding that men and governments shoulder the burden of keeping women safe. So, Connie, what can governments and police do so that women feel more safe? I mean, you're obviously actively involved in trying to help women feel safe while walking home at night. So I'm sure you have some views on this.
2: Actually, it's pretty simple. So I would not ask what can police or state do for women. I would ask what can women do for women. So first thing for me would be support, actually, and not women blaming other women that they became victims. It's uh, also bringing the awareness to the male field that there is a problem And if we go that special that we ask what can police and state do for women here is not ignore it.
4: Anne, did you want to add something? Okay, I totally agree with you on uh, the what can women do for women, but I much more agree on the acknowledging part because the first step to make women feel safer or actually be safer in their cities is to like acknowledge that there is A problem. And I personally think, or our research also suggests, that governments can actually uh, or have to be involved in uh, making this better for women. And we have like several approaches that need to be, maybe, I don't know, pursued in parallel uh, to make cities safer for girls and women. Like, on the one hand, um, our research suggests that even like urban planning measures, like, more streetlights or shorter hedges in parks Um, that can help to make women feel safer, at least. Um, On the other hand, I already said, like harmful stereotypes must be changed because gender-based violence and discrimination are rooted so deeply in our society's norms. And to really solve this problem, we need to really tackle these outdated norms. But for me, like, or for Plan International, The key to safer cities for women is to involve women in the planning process for all these measures, actually, because they can tell best where and why they feel unsafe and what might actually help them to feel safer. Like our international program, Safer Cities for Girls, currently running in, like, I think more than 10 countries over the world. Um, we already work with this combined approach, like very successfully, like groups of women and men or young women and young men, they um, walk the streets, they um, document uh, where and why they feel safe. And then we actually help them or we connect them to the government or the police or whatever um, to actually solve these urban measures. And um, in groups, they also like question uh, gender roles and gender stereotypes, so they can actually tackle these norms. And this combined um, approach is actually like really helping, I guess. I know I've talked a lot now, but I really want to add something more because (laughs) Go ahead, that's fine. um, I think uh, from what I've learned from this research and most of all um, of the feedback of our social media community I mean I'm a social media manager I actually try to um, get our research data out there and we got so much feedback of our community that um, actually like they were really involved in like suggesting things that would make them feel more safe but what they also said is that a lot of them feel like it might not be worth reporting sexual harassment because the perpetrator will most likely never be found and held responsible for that. And I cannot say if that's true or not, but I always tell these girls and women it is worth reporting, like always report because no matter what or no matter if the offender is found in the end or not, in order to get some visibility to this problem, they have to go in the official crime rates or crime statistics. And if they don't report, then this problem is not seen correctly, like in numbers. And so the pressure um, isn't like get, getting higher to actually do something about that.
2: Uh, go ahead, Connie. There is a wonderful organization called Cats Call Off and they are implemented throughout the world in every biggest city. And if you do not have the courage to go to police or whatever just go there and they will mark whatever happened to you on the street exactly where it happened with chalk and um, just raise awareness of what happened of course anonymous you know your name will not be shown there but this is a way to still make clear that something happened at exactly that place
0: Sarah, you wanted to add something as well um, about this question, which is obviously generating a lot of response.
3: Yes, yes, precisely this this question of why are so few cases ever reported. We did research on not gender-based violence per se, but anti-lesbian violence last year, um, which obviously also has a very strong intersection with sexist violence. And there it was very clear that women said that this kind of violence and harassment, at least the the low-level one, is so much a part of everyday life that they wouldn't even think of reporting it. So I think that's an important issue to make, to raise awareness of the fact or to make clear that this is not okay and it is not acceptable and it shouldn't be part of everyday life. That's an important basis to then actually also even get the idea of reporting this anywhere. And I also like the idea of pointing out that it's not only the police that you can go to. And with regards to awareness raising, which basically adds to that point, I agree that it is important basically on the level of the general public, but I also think it is very important and it is also already happening and will hopefully be happening more to raise awareness specifically amongst groups of professionals who deal with these issues, right? So police, judges, the health system and so on. And this is also, I think, it's it's an important part of the Istanbul Convention again as well.
0: So, Sarah, I mean, there are women police officers and an increasing number here in Berlin. They've also made an effort to uh, make them more diverse, you know, whether of minorities or wh- whatever the you know, diversity that you want to enhance. They've been trying to do it. Does that make a difference? I mean, do you find that uh, having that is making people feel more comfortable to report or is raising that awareness that you say is necessary?
3: I think it does. What I know, for example, is again from this research on anti-LSBTIQ um, violence, white Berlin has basically focal points on that issue in the police for a long time. And that definitely helps a lot. And in, with respect to violence against women per se, um, I don't know of any concrete like small scale projects in Berlin, but one colleague of mine pointed me to an interesting initiative by female police women in the city of Mönchengladbach yesterday who started a project basically on their own initiative uh, where they reach out specifically to migrant women and offer workshops and and trainings uh, on self-defense issues, legal counsel and so on, basically with an idea of reaching out and creating trust and creating contact. I think that's the important issue
0: And is there anything schools could be doing to enhance girls' safety? And are they in fact doing it?
4: Yes, I think schools um, can and should definitely play a greater part in enhancing girls' safety in cities. They try to do it, but um, in my opinion, uh, they could probably do a little better. We already, like, In our programs all over the world, we actually involve schools very much in tackling these, like, outdated uh, gender roles that are the basis of gender-based violence. And we tried to uh, partner, or a few years back, we also, like, partnered up with a school in Hamburg for a pilot project. And that was really great, but it couldn't be continued. The problem here is often the really tight schedule the schools are having um, that leaves like practically no room for uh, pilot projects like the one we tried to start. So um, I don't know, this one goes out for our, to our like education system. We need to make room for boys and girls to learn about and question gender roles and how to um, interact with another um, that yeah it, like i said in in uh, in the in the beginning it's like it's not only about teaching girls um, how to act to like avoid or prevent something to happen it's also about teaching boys that it's not okay it's not okay to harass or insult or bully or whatever and they have to learn that and I don't know where best to start than in schools where they are little and they're learning so much. And the thing is that they are not really like scared yet or yeah, whatever. So um, yeah, I think schools um, actually can make a very big difference on um, enhancing girls' safety.
0: Connie, can you add to that?
2: Yeah, of course. And, And I totally agree, especially schools should be something that we should focus on. And uh, we have a few bully programs uh, running on schools, but usually they tend to also ignore this um, sexism issue. You know, it's more about violence, it's more about bullying migrants or whatever Uh, in words. um, It's not especially on this sexism issue, though even small children can be seen bullying boys bullying girls, whatever. Um, And it may not be the original reason that boys say, hey, this is a sexual harassment. No, but it's still a part of the bullying and it's ignored in the programs. Uh, So we should add that.
0: Okay. And the last word goes to Sarah. I know she's been wanting to answer this as well. So what do you think uh, schools could be doing to enhance girls' safety?
3: There's two things I'd like to say. I mean, obviously, I agree with everything you said. One thing is that schools, I think, need to have very clear rules because that, like, on I don't know, what happens if um, someone shares uh, pictures of another school kid without consent? What happens then? I think schools need to think about that and have very clear rules because having those very clear rules in the first place already teaches kids that this is not OK. The other thing is that I think is very important, which we we know from another project that we that we're doing an evaluation of um they work on digital sexualized violence with school kids and they say that it is very important to work with teachers because specifically with respect to sexualized violence teachers feel very uncomfortable to talk about this issue. And if it isn't possible to talk about it, then prevention becomes very difficult and teachers don't know how to find the right words and what to talk about. So they also work with kids, but what they also do is they work with the teachers and try to provide them with the vocabulary and with the feeling of safety and security to talk about this and actually be people that children can turn to. Um, And I think that's very important.
0: That was Sarah Riese, who is with the Research Unit on Violence Prevention of the Independent Institute, Camino. My other guests were Anne Rütten of Plan International, a children's rights organization that conducted a survey last year assessing women's feelings about safety, and Connie Vogt of Heimweg Telefon, which is a private initiative in Germany and Austria, helping women feel safer when they walk home at night. Thanks to all of you for being on Common Ground.
2: Thank you for having
3: me. Yes, thank you. Thanks so it much was Interesting. Really?
2: You.
0: <laughs> our senior producer is Dina El-Sayed, and I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi nelson Thank you for listening, and please join us on Mondays for new episodes of Common Ground. Our program is made possible through a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Energy. Thank you also to our partners, the German Marshall Fund and Berliner Zeitung English Edition. You can download all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to check out our website, commongroundberlin.com.